shelf and saddle with open doors talk and as promised i have amanda rosenthal here with me hi michelle thanks for having me <laughs> um so yeah i'm amanda rosenthal licensed clinical social worker and i'm the founder and owner of new you therapy if you guys haven't checked out her social media go on there she's on instagram on facebook she's totally amazing. I have known Amanda for a very long time. We are both from the same graduating class. And if you haven't heard a little of our story, I shared a couple months ago when we were talking about depression, Amanda and I actually went to India in 2011. It was pretty much an adventure and an experience that I think we both have to agree that we will never forget. It was life changing. Since then, Amanda's always just kind of had a really special place in my heart because she's one of the ones that I was wound with and we got to just experience India together. So she's one of those people that would never be forgotten for me at least. And she's in Pennsylvania. She's currently seeing teenagers, young adults. She comes from a life coach perspective and she's all about getting you motivated and you guys have to check it out. New You Therapy. So here we go. If you heard my episode from last week, I talked about a little bit about me and a little bit about depression. And so by now you'll know that I struggled with depression. Yes, I struggled with depression. And I think that's one of those things that I mentioned in my podcast that depression will always be there, right? Just like anything else in our lives. I think the most important thing that I've learned is that no matter how many circumstances we have in our lives, or no matter how many roadblocks, we are going to be okay. Sometimes, like I said before, it, it's okay not to be okay. But I hope that you were able to grasp an understanding of what that is. And hopefully, if you are also struggling with depression, that you are able to seek the help that you need, maybe even use the suggestions I put out there on my podcast. So here we go. This is a collaboration that Amanda and I have been working on. A couple months ago, we actually talked about depression. So I thought, let me just join her back in my podcast so we can officially make this a sealed deal. Amanda, talk to me. Talk to the people that are listening. Let's talk a little bit about your story, how you started struggling with depression, and what was depression like for you? It started when I was a teenager. I was overly sensitive. I cried a lot. I felt alone. I felt lonely. I definitely lacked that positive encouragement from people around me. I was more down on myself. And I didn't know what any of this was because I was a teenager. And, you know, back then people didn't talk about depression or anxiety. As I got older and studied more about depression and this is what I wanted to do with my life, I understood what it was all about. And actually, the trip to India brought all of this like full circle. I was in horrible relationships, crying for years and just feeling alone and confused, fearful of the future. And I went to India when I was in a horrible relationship. Michelle and that group of girls got me through that. I came home. I broke up with that horrible relationship. I got myself together. And then shortly after graduated with my master's. But again, like I still struggled. It was still a struggle to get through the day. And it took me years to figure this out. Like until recently, maybe even a year ago, I was still struggling and it's always going to be there and it's always going to be a part of me. But I now know what I need to do and the work I have to put in having to trust the process of getting through each day and reaching out for support from others is extremely important to have solid ground of people that you can reach out to. And then just having that solid ground for yourself and knowing 
what you need to do to get yourself out of that rut or get yourself from being stuck and feeling like you're at your lowest low. I mean, it was to the point when I was a teenager, I was just kind of, I mean, this might be getting a little intense, but I'm like, you know what? I don't even care if I wake up tomorrow. Like it just doesn't even matter. It's just the pain was so bad. Thank God I have not felt that in quite a while. I definitely have been there to some extent. I mean, not everyone's depression or anxiety is the same, but I felt it and I felt it a lot and continue to do so. But it's all about working through it. That's why there's therapy. I've reached out to many different therapists at different times in my life to help me through those things also. And I've learned how to work on how to approach people or how to present myself in order to move forward in my life. So I think, you know, as a therapist, being open with our stories, it helps us to connect with other people and know our clients aren't alone. Other people are not alone in feeling this way. We're professionals and we still get these feelings. So, you know, that's kind of a little overview of things that I've been through. I think that's amazing. It's so courageous of you to really step out. We talked a little bit about when teenagers are struggling with depression and how you didn't know that you had depression when you were young. For some teenagers that may be listening, or even a parent that may be having a teenager or young kids, how would you be able to bring some of that awareness or talk about what are those signs and symptoms for the younger kids so that people can be aware, hey, that might be something relative to depression or you may have to find some help for your child. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it doesn't come across like typical people see depression. It doesn't have to be laying in bed all day, crying in your room, isolated from the world. Some people hide it very well. Or if you're having fun doing something, I mean, that depression might not come out. might see your teenager being happy and being able to partake in fun things or be with friends. And if they do that, a lot of parents are like, well, see, my teen's not depressed. They go out with their friends and do things. And that's not necessarily always the case. Like if you're seeing that, you know, they're down on themselves or if they use like a lot of negative language, like, oh, I can't do this or this will never be right or I don't know what to do with my life or nobody likes me. Those might be some, you know, smaller signs that trying to reach out for help. So just verbally checking in and be like, you know, is everything okay? Is there anything we can work on together and sit down and talk about, you know, just being that support for that teen or person in your life? Because it doesn't always become so obvious. Like I hear a lot of parents say, it doesn't seem like they're depressed. Well, not everyone has depression the same way. It can be completely different. And mine was, you know, I was extra sensitive and cried a lot. And it was kind of like always like, oh, you know, stop crying, you know, just do what you got to do, get through the day. And that was kind of always pushed to the side. And that just made things worse. So it's kind of important to know that it's not always good to have, oh, you know, the tough love, like pull yourself up and keep going. Sometimes that doesn't always work, especially as a teenager. As a teen, you're going through like your hormones and puberty, all the stuff is going on. Plus, if you have depression, that just adds so much more to it. So it's important to be understanding and sensitive if you're seeing any inclination of, you know, negative self-talk or trying to like overcompensate for things. Like if you have a child who's very adamant about getting straight A's and they need to get straight A's, that's not always the best thing. That could lead to 
other problems that they're not good enough if they don't get the straight A's. So don't think, oh, well, she's getting straight A's. They're, you know, in sports, they have friends. That doesn't mean everything's 100% okay. So constantly checking in in an appropriate, positive way definitely can help throughout a teenager's life or young adult's life. Yeah, I think that was an excellent point that you made, especially, you know, I'm seeing now more of kids that are having issues that are in school. And most of them are always on the honor roll list. I started to look a little into that because I typically work with other kids that maybe might be having some truancy issues and behavioral problems in class. Then you have kids that are totally honor roll student, popular kid, and everything from the outside seems to be great. But in the inside, they have a tremendous amount of anxiety and depression because they have to fit that role or they have to meet their parents' expectations or what would everyone say if they're not in that top list. There are some pressures with academics that could be very strenuous for a kid's brain, especially when they're developing and and they're trying to do, you know, X, Y, and Z and keep up with everyone and everybody and everything. And school is one of those top causes of depression. And I highlighted in my podcast last week, depression does not have a face. It can really just happen to anyone, children, young adults, families, anyone and everyone. And I think that that's why we're putting this information out there. But at the same time, Amanda and I are social workers. So this is completely unorthodox for us to to share some of our personal story because we have this thing called code of ethics. And as social workers, Amanda and I really let our hair down and said, okay, let's get real. I thrive on authenticity. I'm a big believer that this information should be put out there. So Amanda, let me hear your thoughts. On getting information out there, absolutely. You know, I have a couple different examples because if I'm not true about myself, I don't see, I mean, this is just me personally. It's not about every therapist, but if I'm not true about myself, I don't see how I can help others. If I didn't go through this depression and anxiety and negative relationships in my life, I don't know how I would be able to empathize with my clients in an authentic, like you said, authenticity, an authentic way. So for therapist who hasn't gone through any type of, I guess, life turmoil, I find that hard to, you know, be relatable. But that's just, you know, my opinion. Many teenage girls and a few specifically that they're in these negative relationships, they feel like they're going to be alone and they're never going to find anyone. And I can't just sit back and listen to them feel like they're alone and no one else feels that way. So when they're feeling like at their lowest point, and like there's nowhere else to turn to and no one to relate to, I then share, look, I've been through a number of negative, emotionally negative relationships. And that was because I put myself in a position to take care of myself and take care of my depression and anxiety. So I used therapy to work through that in my own education with going to college to be a therapist and teenage girls can see okay well you know she's been through numerous negative relationships it doesn't mean that's the end it could just mean I have to think about things differently and that brings you know a client therapist relationship closer you become you know someone that they can open up to more and that they can trust more because when you come to therapy, it could be a scary thing. Like, okay, I'm going to come to tell this person all of my life stories and it doesn't seem fair that I just sit 
there and don't share anything of myself. So it helps to bring that therapeutic relationship to another level. Yeah, but then there's, you know, instances where it's not appropriate. I, I remember distinctly this one man I was working with, he lost his mother. And so like the death of a loved one in grief, I could have very much related in my own head to when I lost my grandmother, who was like a second mom to me. I did not disclose, you know, up from the start, I wanted to give him the space to share what he was feeling. And I didn't want to overshadow his feelings about his grief. Several sessions later, I may have mentioned something down the road, but you have to be very careful not to overshadow the client's feelings and what they're going through. Could be a very fine line, but definitely matters how much you share. I mean, like a couple of sentences here and there, I think is appropriate at appropriate times in order to take that therapeutic relationship to an even better level. Absolutely. I agree with you a thousand percent. Those would be great ways to share and not to share. And here's the thing for me, as you're sharing your examples, I start thinking about mine. I typically work with kids that come from impoverished environments. I grew up in the project. I look at them and I say, hey, wherever you come from, understand that I also come from that poverty environment. They understand, they feel understood. And I say when there is an opportunity to bring it up so that the kids can feel a little more comfortable. So let's talk a little bit about what can trigger depression. I don't watch the show, This Is Us. I vividly remember someone saying to me, how do you not watch This Is Us? It's so, it's so good. In the beginning, when it first came out, all the hype about This Is Us, I watched it and I followed along with the storyline. But after a few episodes, I found myself feeling a little sad. It triggered some thoughts in me. And I really didn't want to continue putting myself through that agony of what would happen next and you know, when's the next sad situation they're going to be showing. So I stopped watching it because anything that's not beneficial to my mental health, I will cut it off because it's not beneficial. It's not good for me. I tend to now gravitate and I've done this for a while. I'm all about comedy. I watch things that make me laugh. I love to be in a joyful mood. I tend to go in that direction more because I know what's good for me and I know what's not good for me. One of the very important things about you as an individual, it's really being mindful and aware of your surroundings and your environment and the people that talk to you or the things that you do. So what are some triggers that you could remember? You know, going off of watching things, I used to be a chick flick person. I would always watch those romantic comedies and I would cry intensely at them and they would really get to me. Like you, that I cannot watch those anymore. Like I will never ever watch The Notebook again. I will never watch, you know, certain things again. I just, I put myself so much in their position because I am so sensitive. So that's something I definitely avoid. And like you, I, I focus on comedy or even action or even slightly some drama. Um, but definitely, you know, I steer clear of the chick flick realm of things. And then other triggers are kind of just when people are using negative language to talk to someone kind of like, I guess, in a bullying sense, because I felt that like as a teenager, and I cannot be around people who are excessively negative, or if they're getting into a very deep negative conversation, I have to excuse myself or walk away. And my body also tells me if something is being triggered, even if I don't know it mentally, I still get like those huge pits in my stomach. But 
actually, as of recently, I haven't been getting them so much because I've been doing a lot more different things, you know, self-therapy wise to help with that. Your body could definitely clue you into what those triggers are. Like I'll get tight or definitely the pit in your stomach is the key thing for me where I like, okay, I have to get out of the situation. Or if my breathing increases, I know that I need to exit wherever I am, go somewhere else, take a few deep breaths, even if it's just go in the bathroom, go outside, you know, put myself in a different mindset or even like look online or look up some funny videos or something like that to distract myself from those types of triggers. I think anyone that's listening can relate to that. So let's talk about coping skills. What are some ways to manage depression and how to deal with it in a better sense of light? So actually, I think it was when I first got back from India, I tried to really change my way of life. From being in India, it was just so simplistic and so easy. And the people there were just so genuine and things were so simple. And I didn't feel like much anxiety there at all. When I came home and I saw how simply they lived, I started boxing up a lot of my stuff that wasn't necessary. Now I basically call myself a minimalist. I don't have anything in my house that unless it's like useful or I have an attachment to, then I don't have it. I even have like a limited wardrobe. So that kind of releases some anxiety because if I have too many choices, it's too overwhelming. I kind of just keep the clothes that I feel amazing in and that's what I stick with. When I came back from India, I definitely focused on written positive affirmations and hanging them up around my house, like at least five to seven written out affirmations and just hanging them like on your bathroom mirror, in your bedroom closet, refrigerator, on the door, wherever you can see them daily to constantly get those positive images in your head. At first I was kind of like, okay, this is kind of ridiculous. So I took them down and then still wasn't in a good place. I'm like, let me just try again. So I put them back up and after, you know, a couple of months, they kind of started to sink in. And now I, you know, write them out every once in a while, but I really don't need them as much. They're kind of just part of my brain. So that's definitely one good thing is writing things out, especially positive things. And, you know, having that support system, at least one person you can call or a therapist to have to talk to or reach out to, you can talk with about things that are going on. And then we kind of said before, positive distractions, comedy or planning fun things for the future. I always try to plan things like on the weekends or even if it's just like going to the park or putting you know, the blow up pull out back for the kids or something just to kind of keep the week moving in a positive direction and thinking oh Saturday we can sit outside with the kids or Friday we can have pizza night like those are like kind of the staple things that keep me going throughout the week to look forward to and like family time or anything positive you can think of and then physically well I'm like a paper pen person so physically I write it on my calendar or you know people could put it a reminder in their cell phones of positive things to look forward to those are the main things I really focus on, mainly self-care under all of those types of situations. Thank you so much for sharing all of those coping skills. It was so refreshing to talk to another professional. We both have been trained and we're qualified to do this work. I think it just solidifies what we do as professionals. So thank you for that. I certainly have had 
many doors closed in my journey and I have been knocked down to the floor. And I've also been a person that I've had some experiences with anxiety and many other things you guys will be finding out here. So I hope that you continue to tune in and hear my story and share your story because as I said before, we all have a story to tell. Shoot me an email. Let me know what this is doing for you and how I can better support you. And as I said before, go to New Youth Therapy. There is an Instagram social media. There's a Facebook social media. Check out my girl, Amanda Rosenthal. She's doing some great things. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. This is Michelle Pintado with Open Door Talk.